0: Thank you, Amy. Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. As we move on to a time where we'll be in the Word, I encourage you to take out your Bibles. If you have little ones up through grade 4 and they'd like to be, or you'd like them to be, in a graded service downstairs through Children's Church, you can do that now. And uh, uh, they can meet their teacher in the foyer and they can follow her out or he out. Turn your Bibles to Luke 16. Would you do that? Luke 16. We are in a continuing study through the book of 1st and 2nd Corinthians called God's plan for a healthy church. I hope that you've been in the word this week. It is my encouragement to you always to be in the word on a daily basis. That's the Lord has designed that for you to consume that in that way. And if you have kind of struggled with doing that, let me encourage you out in the guest on the guest table in the foyer. You'll find a trifold that says in the word together. Grab that and start working your way through the word each day. It'll be a blessing to you to Understand what the Word has to say to you. Be able to uh, begin to hold up that holy standard regularly before your own eyes. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand the way He works and how He consistently works continually through both the Old and the New Testament. We're grateful that we can do that. Let's uh, avail ourselves of that. We encourage you to do that. Of course, you may use digital format. Your version has a number of reading plans. Just find one so that you can be in it every day. Over the last several weeks, we've set our focus, the first four verses of 1 Corinthians 16. We're not in there uh, today, although we will refer back there. And that portion of the chapter deals with giving to meet the needs of the church, specifically uh, giving to meet the needs of the church in Jerusalem. And we have used these giving guides found here in the first four verses as an opportunity to expand our understanding of how giving works in the New Testament and how uh, we are to deal spiritually with material things. So, there is some background that's assumed as Paul gives his instructions to the church there in 1 Corinthians, so we've, we've attempted to take in some of that background and kind of fill in around that teaching so that we can have a rich time in understanding uh, how to go about all of these things. Our time today will have to do with priorities on the use of wealth. In particular, as we've talked about all these different things that we've talked about, uh, you may have got to the point where you say, okay, I have not been giving, but I want to. Uh, here's my Here's my, I have a nut to crack each month or each week or whatever, however your economy works in your family, but I want to begin to incorporate these principles as they're given to us in the word, of course, for us to assimilate them in our lives uh, and not just there in a vacuum. As we see principles from the word, it's to, uh, it's to begin to do them, of course, and that's how the sanctification of the word works. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth, and so we use the word and focus on the words that we can become then more like the sun in a reprint, and so... Uh, as we go through these things of course uh, many will say okay I want to do this how do I begin to do this so what's my start Uh, where's my first step if I want to begin to assimilate these uh, principles into my life and that's what this message is all about but I'd like you first if you would first uh, turn to Luke chapter 16 verse 1 and we're going to read all the way through verse 13 and what we'll see here in this parable Jesus tells this story is some very interesting and overarching themes if you will on the use of material things and I think you'll be able to pick them out right away Although we'll, for a moment there, and in your, in your bulletin, you'll see some notes, places where you can take notes. If that's something that helps you, you'll see that up there, and you can jot those down to maybe help you begin to uh, really conform how you think about uh, material wealth to the way the scripture de- uh, deals with it. So look at this uh, very important uh, theme on the use of material things. Verse 1 of Luke chapter 16. Now he was also saying to the disciples, so his, his, uh, his audience is, Uh, those who follow Christ, okay? The ones who follow Jesus, who've uh, stepped forward to be those who are his followers. And so he is uh, speaking to believers. And so believers then uh, all open their ears. We open our ears when we see this. Now he was saying to the disciples, uh, there was a rich man who had a manager and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. Not the type of report you want your boss to read if that's what you're doing. Verse two, and he called on him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be my manager. Look at verse 3. The manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. Verse 4. I know what I shall do, so that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. Verse 5. He summoned each one of his master's debtors, And he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? Verse 6, and he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. Verse 7, then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. Verse 8, and his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly, For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light, verse 9. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings, verse 10. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much, verse 11. Therefore... If you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust true wishes to you? Verse 12. And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now let's stop right there. Some observations of the points Jesus took the time to make of course he uh, had his disciples with him he could have taught on anything he wished to teach on as we pointed out Jesus teaches on the way we manage money much more than any other subject by a factor of 2 and or more and so we we see this uh, continuing theme as Jesus teaches about this now I want to point out something to you as you looked through there and you saw what the unrighteous manager did well the unrighteous manager was unrighteous wasn't he and so as he realized he was about to get canned, what did he start doing? Well, he started um, deducting everybody's bill. In his mind, he's thinking, okay, I'm going to get booted out of this management, this sweet job I've had, which I've dealt very poorly with, and so I'm going I'm to be gone, so I'm going to make some friends. And so Jesus is not endorsing anything that the unrighteous manager did at all. And when the owner comes, he didn't say that it was what he did was right. Obviously, the debts were deducted. It wasn't his, it wasn't his, uh, his responsibility to deduct it. The, managers, uh, the owner just said, hey, that was pretty smart of you. I mean, you're about to get canned. I'm for sure going to can you now. And, uh, but you're gonna, you've, you've laid some foundations so that you can be taken care of. That's the point, okay? So in your mind, as you think about this, realize that what he did wasn't right. But Jesus uses this story to make a heavenly point. And so some observations here and in in some of the points that Jesus desired to make and took the time to make. Number one. Unbelievers are more aware of how the world works than many believers are on how God works. And you can find that right there in uh, verse 8, as his master praises the unrighteous manager because he acted shrewdly, and then Jesus interjects here and says this, for the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And that's that's a reproval, isn't it? It's, uh, hey, I know that uh, this guy knew what was coming on, what was coming down the pipe, And he acted in order to make sure he was going to be okay. And in that respect, acting that he's going to make sure that he's going to be okay, uh, the sons of this world are much more uh, aware of how the world works than many believers are of how God works. And that's not a good thing. And so Jesus tells the the story in order to correct those actions. And then verse 9 it says this, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of of unrighteousness, So that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwelling. So number two, second point that I think that uh, Jesus wants to make, we're to use God's money in a way that will advance the kingdom. So in just a general perspective, so we understand whatever it is we have, first of all, we don't want to fall into the same uh, boat as the ones Jesus is reproving here and saying, listen, those who are of God's kingdom are less aware of how God's kingdom works than the ones who are in the world are aware of how the world's kingdom works. So we don't want to fall into that category. But secondly, I think it's very clear with, with the parable that we're to use God's money in a way that will advance the kingdom, to see people come to Christ. That's the whole point. So when you use unrighteous wealth, it, when it fails, and when you're all done and it's all gone, there will be people, that's they, will receive you into eternal dwelling. So there will be people who come to faith because of your, your faithfulness with the way you used unrighteous wealth, and they will welcome you into the eternal home. So it's a very, that's a wonderful motivation to think about as you think about what you have. Number three, the wicked man in the parable, and catch this, beloved, provided for himself for a coming time of hardship. He saw what was coming. There was gonna be an accounting. His, his, uh, the, the boss over him was saying, okay, we're gonna figure out what you've done, and then I'm gonna can you. All right? And I think that that leads right into point four, and this is the whole point of, again, a whole point of the parable. We're supposed to see a coming time of reckoning or accounting as well and be wise with the way we handle God's money. And we've seen that over and over again. So this is not a new point that we're going to make. But the, the, the point is, is this. Be, even the way the unrighteous manager was able to look ahead and say, hey, things are not looking good down the line. I'm going to make sure that uh, you know, I do the best I can. We are to look ahead to see that someday uh, the one who's over us will, get, will have us give account of what we had. Verse 10, uh, here's this general summation. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. So point number five Jesus wanted to make was this. If you're faithful, you're faithful. And so that really, that observation and that point undercuts the idea that if I had more, I'd be faithful to give. So we can just get rid of that whole thought altogether. If I had more, I would give. That's not the issue, is it? The issue is, what do we do with the 20 bucks you have now, okay? If you're faithful, you're faithful. So you can't say, if I had more, I'd be faithful to give, because Jesus says, listen, if you're not faithful in a little thing, you're not going to be faithful in much. Verse 11, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust true riches to you? So this is going to lead us into point six, and this is it. What are true riches? Obviously not material wealth, because that's the other side. That's the unrighteous wealth. So it's something else besides material wealth. True riches, true riches of the kingdom. Of course, I think is are things like spiritual gifts. There are things like uh, spiritual fruit in in life, uh, successful ministry, souls of people. These are true riches, right? People who rely on you for, for spiritual influence, um, spiritual leadership. These are all spiritual riches. And there are many things you're probably thinking of a few too that I'm not thinking of, but these are the things that he says, are true riches. So if you're not faithful, and here's the deal. A very sobering part of that last question from Jesus appears to say this. God isn't going to entrust us with things that really matter if we haven't demonstrated the ability to handle wealth. So that's the test, if you will. The crucible about how we handle wealth uh, and what we're doing with a little bit is really the test, if you will, about how you're going to do with true riches. Or how you handle a little bit of wealth is really the test of how you'll handle a lot. And if you, haven't, if you haven't established a steady pattern of handling it correctly, as we've seen over the last four weeks, and I'm referring to these things, and, and uh, you know, I, I assume that you've been with us. If you haven't, you can catch up online. But the fact of the matter is, God isn't going to entrust us with things that really matter if we haven't demonstrated the ability to handle money. And in verse 12, if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, and again, it just confirms for us What? that all material wealth belongs to God. Everything we have is on loan from him. We've seen this over and over again. Again, Jesus just confirms this. If you are not uh, faithful in the use of that which is another's, which everything, all wealth belongs to God, everything that all the cattle on a thousand hills, all the wealth of every mind, everything, the earth and all its fullness, we've seen over and over again, everything belongs to the Lord. So it's not a big stretch to say if we have anything, whatever it is we have, that's on loan from him. And so here's the deal. All material wealth belongs to God. Everything we have is on loan. And so it is a stewardship then from him. And we've seen that over and over and over again. So we know that it is God's desire to bless those that are his with what they need. And we've seen this over and over. It's assumed in the parable we just saw that you will have something, whether it's a little or a lot, and you're showing your faithfulness by how you handle it, it's clearly stated a bunch of other places that we've seen that it is God's desire to provide for what we need. That is some, that's the way we started the whole study, that perhaps you haven't realized yet that it is God's desire to bless those who are his. And I'm not talking about, you know, f- that you should be healthy and wealthy and all the prosperity things. I'm just saying that it is his faithful uh, desire to make sure that you're taken care of, to supply for their needs. My Lord will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. All your needs this is not something you have to ask him for. This is something he's already said that he'll provide. You know, Matthew chapter 6 says, um, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And what was all the things? All the things that you need, the clothing, the shelter, and, and the food, and all that stuff okay, that the world longs for, you don't have to long for because your life is not made up of just those things. And so the idea here is this, it's the Lord's desire, I think we can generally see that principle all through the scriptures, to supply for the needs of his people, to provide for their future, provide this so they can abundantly share, because those who are poor are on God's mind all the time, those who have need are on God's mind all the time, and when we share make sure those things are taken care of, and give what we have, uh, you know, God is got us pleased with those kinds of things. He's not against any of those providing for the needs, providing for the future, he's the one who said he would do it, so he's not against any of that, Okay. But the problem really comes when he gives to those who are his, as we see in Luke 16, 13. He says this, no servant can serve two masters. So when you receive whatever it is, understand that you're gonna not going to you're not gonna be able to serve both. For either we will hate the one and love the other, or else you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and wealth. So we can just take away any of the clouds around that. Uh, perhaps you thought were around that passage. Listen, he's talking about God, and he's talking about money. And he's being very clear about it. This is Jesus teaching his disciples. And we all have ears to hear. So number eight, when he gives, whatever he gives, it's so that we can serve him with it and be faithful, not so that we can serve what he gives and make the provision the main thing. Got it? So there's the thing. When he gives, what he gives, whatever it is, whether it's a little or a lot, it's not so we can serve what he gives and make provision the main thing. That's the danger. He wants us to be faithful with whatever it is, see? And 1 Corinthians 16, 2 provides a guide to that faithfulness, doesn't it? On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save, as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. And that, just that sentence right there sums up so much of what we need to know in the background, which is what we're covering now, about how that happens. That's what faithfulness looks like. And there are dozens of other passages just like that. But this is the passage that prompted this real small extended study on material things. So, how do I lay up treasure in heaven? That's how I do it, see? By being faithful and little, by laying aside, setting aside every week, each one of you put aside and save as he prospers. How do I serve the master and not the money? That's how you do it. You take a little bit each week and you set it aside as you may prosper in that, in proportion, and then you give it, see? That's how I do it. How do I act faithfully in a little so that I can be trusted with much? That's how you do it, see? And there are many other places, but this is our focus now. How can I prove myself trustworthy of true riches so that he will give me true riches? That's how you do it, see? Because the crucible is, how are you managing material things? Because however you manage material things is how you're gonna manage a lot of material things, and if you do poorly in material things, The Lord's not rewarding you with true riches, okay? So a lot is said there as Jesus gives this uh, wonderful testimony, this wonderful parable. We can pull a lot of stuff out. So as we saw before, in a couple other messages ago, am I selfish? We want to say no to that. Am I impulsive? We want to say no to that. This is the way we change our feelings about what we have and change our character. Am I lazy? No, I want to say no to that. I want to be able to work hard and do what I'm supposed to do. Am I undisciplined and willful because I just won't listen to any of this instruction? These are all reasons why you might not have enough, but you want to be able to say no to these things, see? Am I indulgent? Am I a schemer? Am I really in need of more? Am I robbing God? Am I disobedient in some other area of my life? And there are dozens of other things that we could say, but these are the ones we just summed up. Listen, you want to say no to those things so that you'll be able to say yes to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Everything we have comes from him. I'll be content with just the basics. I've put away from myself the desire just to attain things. I'm not going to worry about the possible loss of what I have. I'm going to rid myself of any form of self-importance or vanity associated with anything I have. See, you want to say, yes, I've done those things. Uh, I want to I set my security and my hope on God and not on the things that I have. Yes, I want to say yes to that, see. I want to be generous and ready to share what we've, he's given to us. You want to be able to say yes to that. You can see if you're being say, yet, saying yes to that by how you've used what you've got this month. And that whatever we use, whatever the Lord has prospered us whether great or little, lay up a good foundation for the future. See, 1 Timothy 6 just gives us a whole bunch of ways to say yes to the Lord about our feelings and about our attitudes and conform those into his character. So as we think about that parable Jesus has given us, it gives us a lot of stuff to think about in general overarching themes about how we manage what we have and what are the consequences for doing it well and not doing it well. And then we can see all these ways that we perhaps don't have what we need because we're, we, all these habits are in our life of selfishness, impulsiveness, laziness, and undiscipline and all those things. And, and then we can see, okay, how can I change that? All right, There's going to have to be some change of thought. Everything I have comes from the Lord. I'd be content with just the basics, whatever it is. I don't have to have more and more and more. If the Lord gives it to me, great, but I don't have to have it. And my desire is not primarily to attain things where I find my satisfaction. We want to say yes to those kinds of things, see. Now, as we process all that, we understand this. And we've said this a number of times, but I think it's important to point it back out again. God uses work as the primary way to provide us with what we need. Now, he has other ways he can do it. He can do it with inheritance, he can do it with with uh, you know, gifts and, and all, you know, all those kinds of things, okay? But work is the primary way the Lord provides us with what we need. We see that correlation constantly through the scriptures. We've looked at that over and over again. And there are two passages that I haven't given you, but I want you to look at here quickly that deal with this issue of work as a means to having what you need. And as it relates to God's providence, and as it relates to material things, I think there, there probably isn't two better ones, and you might want to copy these down. as so It can be helpful to you. But we're going to look at these two things. They're two, my, my two favorites, and then we will move on to the priorities the Lord has given us uh, from the Word about how we go about changing what we've been doing. Now, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 23 through 27. I'll put it on the screen behind me. Here's the instruction. Know well the condition of your flocks and pay attention to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. When the grass disappears and the new growth is seen, and the herbs of the mountains are gathered in, the lambs will be for your clothing, and the goats will bring the price of a field, and there will be goat's milk enough for your food, and for the food of your household, and sustenance for your maidens. So stop right there. Now, obviously, based on agrarian society, we're looking at the Old Testament. And the way that that economy worked but there are overarching principles here are there not it's easy to see those the passage is really wonderful because it really balances the providence of god and the fleetingness of wealth and the diligence of work all together doesn't it now in israel's economy under theocracy any land that had been bought or sold was supposed to go back to the original owner every 50 years so it was going to be impossible to gain a lot of wealth by accumulating a lot of property Because the Lord wanted to keep everything like he had originally set it up when they first went in the land. So he said, you know, on that jubilee year, you're going to give back whatever land it was that you bought from anybody. And so he gave all kinds of all kinds of calculations. You could figure out how much how many years till the jubilee year, how much the property would be worth because of how much crop you could grow and all that kind of stuff. But where there was some stability uh, was built on careful consideration and work that was invested in the livestock. And so uh, God's word here encourages diligence and encourages knowledge, and it says, listen, be engaged, work is important, uh, you take your mind and, and kind of put this all together, what you can do to make sure you're taking care of the needs of their family. God's not against any of that, in fact, he gives those instructions to do the very things. The second, part, the second place we, we can find is Ecclesiastes 11.1, 1. and it says this, cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Verse 2, divide your portion to seven, or eight, or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. Verse three, if the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth, and whether a tree falls towards the south or towards the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. In other words, um, worrying about things you don't control that are inside the providence of the Lord will keep you from working and saving and investing. You'll just be worried about stuff all the time. He says, don't worry about stuff you can't control. Verse five, just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Verse 6. Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. So, here's the deal. As we look at that passage, it's very easy to see, you know, God's not against investing. He's not against, you know, evaluating what's going on and making sure you're covering and diversifying yourself. He's not against any of those things. In fact, that's the instruction he says. Hard work, uh, evaluation, taking careful consideration of what's going on will allow you to do well. And and Conversely, he constantly condemns being lazy and not paying attention and not doing the things you're supposed to be doing. And so on both sides, he gives instruction and the consequences of both. So God provides, but ultimately, as we see in Ecclesiastes 11 and in Proverbs 27, God provides the outcome of the work. 2 Corinthians 9.10 tells us this, and we'll look at this in a number of months from now. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. And so as we're going to see in, in, when we look at this, you know, he's in the entire supply chain here. Okay? As it just got through saying, you know, he who watches the wind won't sow, he who looks at the clouds won't reap. You don't know the path of the wind, you don't know how bones are formed in them. In a pregnant woman, so just work hard. Some things you can't control, work hard, diversify yourself, invest, those kinds of things. These are very important, they can be part of your life. With a little or a lot, you can do this. But he's in the entire supply chain. He, he from the supply of the seed, uh, to the harvest, to the grinding and the baking and the bread, which is available at the very, at the very end for the purchase and for the use. He's in all of that, okay? And so, when we deal faithfully with what he provides, verse 10 goes on to say, he will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Okay, just again, you know, it's God's desire to provide for the needs of those who he loves and those who are his. And, uh, you know, being generous with us and taking care of us and all those kinds of things. These are all part uh, of what he does for our use. Everything comes from him. He's in the entire supply chain, but he still instructs us to work hard. He instructs us to have the right heart attitude towards money, to be able to say no to a bunch of things that will just inhibit what you're doing and say yes to a bunch of things that are God's perspective on material things. And so everything comes from him, and as you work hard, he can bless that, and as he blesses that and however you prosper, that's the way you give, and so we saw all of that. So you may say, okay, I agree with that, so what do I need to do? Okay, how, how do I put these principles in general to work in my life? So, a couple of things that we see that are the priorities, if you will, as I understand them from the Word of God. And so, um, number one, we provide for the needs of our household. That's the first thing you're supposed to do. First Timothy 5.8 says this, If anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, you've got to ask the Lord for wisdom on what that looks like, Okay? Well, we start with this because this has to do with testimony. Okay? This has to do with testimony in the community and that's the most important thing as we uh, walk through this world. They have to see us being spirit controlled in all areas and this is one of the ways that people can look and see in the, in the unbelieving world, can look and see if you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're pro- supposed to provide for the needs of your own, especially for the needs, uh, Paul says to Timothy, of your household. And 1 and Timothy says if we don't do that, we're worse than an unbeliever. So meet your needs and those of your family. Paul told the men in Thessalonica, and the men and I here at Berean have gone through this passage a couple of years ago as we were doing discipleship. But in in, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, as we worked through all of 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, we got to this point, and it says this, And to make it your ambition, here it is, to lead a quiet life, attend to your own business, and work hard with your hands, just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. And that's a great summary statement of what it looks like inside of a man to be doing what the Lord wants us to do. And, and we label this whole, this, whole, uh, this whole series for the men inside out because the idea is typically men are, are very consumed with what the outside looks like, uh, not necessarily how we dress because usually we need a wife to make sure that, that, look, that we look all right for that. But I'm talking about how it appears that we're doing economically. How are we doing in our job? How are we doing with... How important we are. We like people to think that we're important. We like people to think that we, we've got it all together. But the Lord has got it all backwards. There, He's like, listen, it's the inside that I'm most concerned about. And we looked at all kinds of inside thoughts. First, uh, First Thessalonians four uh, starts with all kinds of how your thoughts life works and what you're supposed to do about bringing your spirit under control and all the kinds of things. Then it gets to this, and it says, make it your ambition. So this is your goal. To lead a quiet life, attend to your own business and work with your hands, just as we commanded you. Again, the Lord provides according to work, typically. That's the way he gives it. So that you'll behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. A couple things you can see. Take care of the things that are your responsibility. And one of those is, take care of the needs of your family, those who are your own. Number two, work hard. And we saw that before. Adorns the gospel, doesn't it? Working hard adorns the gospel. When you work hard and people watch that, that makes the gospel look good. Number three, you know, two things produce a good testimony and, need to be, and, and needs being met. Meeting the needs of those of yours is high on the priority list. And of course, and here's the deal, beloved, you know, provide for the needs of your household. Defining what those needs are takes wisdom and consideration, okay? You're gonna have to sit down and figure out what those needs are. Not relying on the culture to define that for you, okay? you Don't be salted by the culture about what your needs are. You need to sit down. As you understand the needs of your family, you need to meet those needs okay and we'll, we'll in just a few minutes we'll give you some suggestions about how those need when you're thinking about meeting needs some things that probably need to be included in that thought process number two so first thing provide for the needs of your household priority number two we're to use our money to pay what we owe again a testimony issue okay you're to use your money to pay what you owe if you owe anything you're supposed to pay it turn with me you can just uh let luke go turn to romans chapter 13 would you do that And those of you who have been with us for years, you've been through this with us, but we'll just go through it very uh, quickly. Romans chapter 13, uh, verse 1, if you would look there with me. I just have verse 8 up there because it's the one I want to use to illustrate uh, the point. But look at Romans chapter 13, verse 1. A very important passage. And this is, you maybe should write this in your margin here, as we were in 1 Corinthians 16, because this has to do with priority. Now, I'm going to read the whole section here. Some of it doesn't apply to us right now, although every time we read the Word of God, uh, it is sanctifying in nature, isn't it? And so I don't know where you are and what's going on in your life, so I just try to make sure it's in context and you get the benefit, as I do, of reading the whole thing. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. There's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. So, very straightforward statement. Verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, But for evil, do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. Verse 4, for it is a minister of God for you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Verse 5, therefore, it's necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, or not only because you're afraid of the punishment, but for also, here we go, conscience sake, so for your testimony, for your understanding of God's law, as it works out its way out in your life, so we're moving to conscience sake and then verse 6 says this for because of this, you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing verse 7, render to all what is due to them, tax to whom tax, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law, let's stop right there and let's pull out some important points for us Again, part of our testimony for conscience sake, because the world is watching, because this is important for people to see that you bring yourself into subjection in these areas. So taxes, fees, we're to pay them. Um, If something is on an installment or a payment plan you've signed up to do, we're to do that as we've agreed to do it. And and that's the whole point of owe nothing to anyone. That just means this, nothing outstanding, nothing overdue. Don't let back payments accrue. Paid on time if you will, pay it off. That's the best way, I think, to look at it. Pay it off. Pay it. And continue to pay it as you've, as you've determined to pay it. And then it says this. It says, um, don't owe anything to anyone except to love one another. In other words, you'll never pay that off. You're going to continue to pay on that. But work hard to pay everything else, just like you've said that you're going to do. Um, nothing's overdue. The Bible doesn't forbid debt. And again, we've said this over and over again. Because there are a number of studies out that say, you know, the Bible forbids debt. The Bible doesn't forbid debt. Uh, it, and just to firm that up in your mind, it gives thousands of rules concerning the borrower. And some are right here pay what you owe, when you owe it, on time, as you're supposed to for your testimony's sake, and then it gives lots of rules for the lender. And I'll just give you a couple of illustrations for that because a number of you have asked me this. Exodus 22, 25, you're going to see a number of of interactions going on here and some parameters for the borrower and for the lender, okay? Exodus 22, 25, if you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you're not to act as a creditor to him, you shall not charge him interest. So as God's people are instructed about borrowing and lending, what does it say there? If you're a lender, what are you not supposed to do? You're not supposed to charge interest. And I've said this before hundreds of times to the church over the years. I kind of wonder what the church would be like if we had people who had means who were willing to do this. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Because the church would be able to do so much more uh, than it's able to do right now. So, you know, here's the deal. If you lend money to my people to the poor among you, you're not to act as a creditor to them, you should not charge them interest. How about Leviticus 25, 35? Here's what it says. Now, in case a countryman of yours becomes poor and his means with regard to you falter, in other words, um, he can't pay you back. So we're talking about this whole situation where you've you've lend money to someone and he is uh, a fellow called by the Lord's name, and he can't pay you back, then you are to sustain him like a stranger or a sojourner, that he may live with you. Do not take usurious serious interest from him, but revere your revere God that your countrymen may live with you. So the whole looking after, if you lend money, you find that the person you lended it to, uh, lend this money to couldn't pay you back. He says, hey, take them in. Make sure they're taken care of. It's our responsibility. If you have a lot, there's a lot re- required. Nehemiah 5.7. Now, here's people who have come back from captivity, and they are living back in the land, and they're falling into the same types of uh, bad behavior, and Nehemiah is, is watching this, and he says this. He says, I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, you're exacting usury from your brother. In other words, uh, there's a bunch of poor in the land, and there's some rulers in the land. They're all back from, from captivity, and the poor can't do what they need to do. They need some capital to get going. They need some cattle. They need whatever it is. And they're the rich are loaning and then they're charging interest. And he says, listen, this, this does not please the Lord. You're, you're, you're exacting interest from each other. Therefore, I held a great assembly against them. So he had a big meeting and said, listen, you're, you're doing exactly what you did before. Don't do it. How about Psalm 15.5? If you want to live where the Lord is able to bless, and that's whole, uh, Psalm 15 is like that, he, he does not put out his money at interest. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of character traits there. If you want the Lord to bless you, uh, these things will be there. You don't gossip. You don't backbite. You don't, um, uh, there's a bunch of stuff that you're, that's, that's part of that. But the bottom line comes to this. He doesn't put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. Now, here's the deal. You don't put out your money at interest. I mean, it doesn't mean you don't put out your money to help somebody. It just means you don't charge somebody interest if they're a brother. Now, Psalm 37, 21. The wicked borrows and doesn't pay back. So here's the other side. So you're a receiver of of, of money as as you're borrowing it, and you don't pay it back, the Lord just puts you in the category of wicked. You borrow and you don't pay it back, you're wicked. Again, it is a testimony issue, just like we saw in Romans chapter 13. But the righteous, it says, is gracious and gives. So if it's in your power to give it, and make sure you take care of the need, go ahead and do it. Deuteronomy 23, 19. Just a few more. I love this kind of stuff, so I hope it's, I hope it's uh, encouraging to you. You shall not charge interest to your countrymen. Again, over and over again. Be- why? Because the, the accumulation of wealth is such uh, it, it just works its way in, doesn't it? It's just if I, however I can do it, I'm going to do it. And however I can bring it in, I'm going to bring it in. It's just very insidious that way, isn't it? It's, it's the way the culture tries to condition us, and the Lord just over and over again says, hey, listen, this is how it's supposed to look. You shall not charge interest to your countrymen. Interest on money on food, or anything that may be loaned at interest. It just takes it a big swath. Listen, whatever it is they're borrowing from you, don't charge them interest. Verse 20, you may charge interest to a foreigner. So this is talking about those who are called by the Lord's name. So those who are the Lord's, you're not to charge interest, but if it's someone who's a foreigner, not a believer, uh, they're coming in, you're, you're, you're loaning to them, you can charge interest, but to your countrymen you shall not charge interest so that the Lord, your God, may bless you in all that you've undertaken in the land which you are about to enter to possess, which, by the way, he gave them, right? And that's what they're supposed to remember all the time. you got a house you didn't build, you got fields you didn't plant, you got vineyards that you, didn't, that you didn't tend, and you got the benefit of all that, so when you're there, make sure that you don't begin to be selfish towards those who are called by God's name, because we don't have anything except that the Lord has given it to us, whatever it is, small or great, because all of it belongs to the Lord. Deuteronomy 24.10. When you make your neighbor a loan of any sort, you shall not enter into his house to take his pledge. So there's some collateral involved. So you're not supposed to go into his house to take it. You shall remain outside. And the man to whom you make the loan shall bring the pledge to you. If he is a poor man, you shall not sleep with his pledge. In other words, you don't keep it at your house if he needs it. If it's collateral for the loan and he needs it, uh, when the sun goes down, you shall surely return the pledge to him that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you, and it will be righteousness for you before the Lord your God. Who's watching all of this? The Lord is. Who's the one that rewards righteous behavior? The Lord does. Does he miss any of it? He doesn't. See? He doesn't miss any of it. He gives instructions. He expects us to follow them. And he blesses those who do. The wicked borrows and doesn't pay back. The Lord knows who that is. And they receive the the just reward for being that way. But the righteous is gracious and gives. And we're going to see, we've seen, and we'll see some more, all kinds of blessings connected to those who are open-handed, see? And if you think, okay, well, this is just the Old Testament, well, we see the same principles in the New. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Can we, can we lend? Sure. Can we borrow? Yeah. Absolutely. Luke six thirty four. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? In other words, so don't just limit the ones you loan your stuff to, or your money, or whatever, to the ones you know you c- who can pay you back. Okay, so it really opens it up to being much more generous. Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. In other words, I mean, even those who don't believe take care of their own. But for you, you're supposed to take care of those who can't pay, see? See, the Bible doesn't forbid debt because here's the deal, beloved. It wouldn't forbid debt in one hand and then give rules for righteous borrowing and lending on the other, okay? Because the Bible doesn't conflict itself that way. So back to what we just got through saying, paying your bills on time. So maybe you have a mortgage debt, and maybe it's an automobile that you need it. Uh, whatever it is, according to Romans thirteen, as we saw, and in many other places, you to pay it on time as part of your testimony. That is what the Lord instructs us to do. See, and it is a priority for the use of what you have. Giving, you know, in some certain amount, uh, to take care of the needs of the church is not supposed to come before. You taking care of your testimony. Do you understand? Now, there's ways that you can incorporate those together. But the fact of the matter is that this testimony issue is the most important thing. And the Lord's not pleased with whatever you give if you're not taking care of the needs of your family and you're not paying what you owe on time. Because those are testimony things to the watching world. And those come first, see. Do you understand? And once again, now as we think about debt, okay, whether or not you should incur debt can be governed by the questions I gave you before. What's the motivation for what you're doing with your money, okay? So whether you should incur debt may be based on those questions and whether you can answer no and yes to the appropriate ones. And also understand that, you know what, the, somebody, somebody that you know who's a believer may have the ability to meet the need that you have without you going into debt, see? And you can make that need known, and we do here, and I'm very grateful for that, and lots of needs get met. Get met. So general principles, okay? Not picking out something that I think we're not doing. It's just general principles. So whether or not you should incur debt, then you have to ask some questions about what your goals are in your life and how you're managing what you have and if you're being faithful with a little. And that will help you identify what your real need is and your motivation as it relates to God's wisdom for material wealth and dealing spiritually with material things. But this is just simply saying this. Pay what you owe as you owe it. So already established debt, it's your responsibility to pay that as you said you would. And, and and you know, you may find and early on I think as we begin to think about handling material things in a in a spiritual manner, you may find that as you look at yourself that there's a lot of debt. You follow the culture perhaps even moderately, you may have a lot of consumer debt. In other words, money spent on On indulgence or as a result of impulsiveness or going out to eat or entertainment with really nothing to show for all of that debt see so you may find that's the case so it may take some adjustment then early on so that you don't continue to accrue that kind of debt and then pay that as you owe it and get it paid off you know maybe as you look at your life maybe you have more house or more car than you need see or You know, you know, and we dealt with this. But in order to get to a place where you can be faithful with what God's given you, there may need to be some reordering of what's going on. See, if you have a debt that's overdue, you haven't regularly made those payments on time, and it's past due. That's a testimony issue. The Lord doesn't want you to stay in that position. You know, you regularly make late payments on stuff. Listen, that's not what the Lord wants you to do. You aren't taking care of the needs of those who are yours. The Lord doesn't want you in that boat either. Uh, then you, you may need to sell something to get to the point where, you know, your testimony with the outside world is where it can honor the Lord, and then he's able to bless those efforts, see. So just general principles, okay, from what the Word of God tells us. And there's a good example, you know, we have a text of this, and we'll just do it quickly. And uh, I like this. This is one of my favorite passages with Elijah. Uh, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slave. So we can learn a couple of things right there, okay? Number one, here's a wife who's left with some debt that her husband incurred. And however, was her husband a wicked man? No, he incurred some debt. He was a businessman, obviously doing, uh, doing business and buying and selling and loaning and whatever it is, okay? So this is not, this is not, uh, it's not a terrible situation for uh, you know, Elijah not coming and saying, "Well, your husband shouldn't have done this and he shouldn't have done that." And you know, he was a wicked man. He was a righteous man, but the Lord. You know, as we talked about before, as we went through First Corinthians 15. You know, death still has dominion, doesn't it? In some respects, it can take away people that we really need to be here, temporarily, and this is the case here, right? Death has that dominion. Death, uh, death claimed her husband, and so. Uh, she's worried, and, and the, the creditor's going to come and take her children aside. So the creditor is not dealing with them as the Lord has prescribed. So, uh, got a creditor that's um, uh, not going to be blessed. So Elijah said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. And then he said, Go borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors, and even empty vessels, do not get just a few and you shall go in and shut the door behind you and you and your sons and pour out all pour out into all these vessels and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They were bringing the vessels to her and she poured. And when the vessels were full, she said to her son, uh, bring me another vessel. And he says to her, there's not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. And then she came and, and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Now. That's a dire situation, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's what, every, what every woman fears, perhaps at the back of her mind, uh, having a family and doing the things you're doing, and all of a sudden being minus the pr- primary breadwinner and perhaps some debt for the home and some other things. This, this is a serious situation. And so um, she sought the Lord's answer through the prophet. And, and again, once again, first the first thing you do is you go in prayer and say, okay, Lord, what am I, I going to do here, okay? Um, how, how am I going to take care of this? And I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying that the Lord's going to miraculously give you a bunch of things to sell, okay? You're not going to keep pulling toys out of the closet and the closet's going to still be full and you're pulling them out and you're selling I'm not saying that's going to happen, okay? I'm just saying that she sought the Lord and she asked the prophet what to do and he said, uh, do this, okay? But here's what I will say. When you begin to turn your heart towards him to get on the right track with material things, he will provide the answer all the time, okay? And whatever dire situation you see uh, yourself in, whatever difficult thing he, uh, you might see come along the way as it relates to these things, the Lord will provide the answer as you seek Him and do things His way. Okay? Elijah didn't say, just tell the creditor, too bad and pack up your kids and move. He didn't say that. Okay? He could have said anything he wanted to say. Okay? He could have said, okay, I'll go talk to the creditor. He's not going to take anything from you. I'll strike him with leprosy. I mean, he could have done anything like that. Okay? But he didn't do any of that. He just said, listen, we'll, I want you to go and you're going to sell this stuff and I'm, the Lord's going to provide this for you and you're going to be okay. So from a testimony perspective, we shouldn't be behind paying a debt or have an outstanding debt that we're not paying. And particularly have an outstanding debt we're not paying and then turn around and spend the money on something else. Okay? The Lord keeps track of all that stuff. And if you want him to be bless- blessing what you're doing, you're gonna have to do it his way. Number three, uh, we should save a portion of our money. We just sh- save a portion of what comes in. And this is, and th- again, this is, gonna, this is gonna relate back to the very first one, take care of the needs of your family, and I'll tell you how in just a second. But you're thinking about now the future. An unexpected time, when we can't do what we did, when trouble comes, when death robs us of someone that we still need, when, as we'll see in a moment, we fall temporarily. There is something there to help, okay? Proverbs 21.20 says this. There is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. So the idea there is this, is that's just consuming everything that comes in right up to the last penny every single month, Okay? And we looked at that passage already just in brief in relation to the average credit card debt and the average spending in our country, a buck 17 for every dollar that comes in, and all that kind of stuff that I talked to you about, five credit cards, average $5,000 on each credit card. That's the average American, okay? They are doing exactly what the Scripture says not to do. And so we certainly shouldn't fall into that category where we are spending everything plus borrowing from the Lord for the future that he hasn't even given us yet and imposing on him and saying, Lord, please don't let me lose my job because I've already spent the money you haven't even paid me yet so again, just a reordering of the way we look at things and how we do things, and, and here's the deal. You know, you have to use the no questions and you have to say, okay, can, you know, can I say no to these things? No, I'm not selfish, no, I'm not impulsive, no, I'm not, you know, and can I say yes to, you know, um, I've changed my feelings about money, especially my security being wrapped up in my savings. Yes, I'm okay with the loss of all the stuff because I'm okay with just the basics. That's the kind of thing, see, in order to get this under control, you're gonna have to get those no's under control and those yeses under control, okay? Because obviously by by your very spending uh, you're indicating that some of those things you're not saying no to and some of the other things you're not saying yes to okay so we get those things under control as we've just seen taking care of the needs of our family uh, you know we're talking about uh, you know paying what we owe uh, when we owe it a testimony to the world and when we have arrived at that point see um, when we're setting something back for the future you know and here's the deal Here's how you take care of your family beloved and you you know this already a combination perhaps of life insurance and health insurance and other types of insurance that that guard against the time when you can't do what you're going to do that's how you take care of your family okay it's not just you know paying electric bill that's important on time when you owe it it's not just paying the water bill you know providing for a roof over their head it's not just that okay it's some other things that you take care of the needs of your family so that there's something there okay retirement savings investing we saw that in ecclesiastes 11 right Casting your bread on the water, it's going to return to you, you. know, Pick out some things to invest in. You don't know whether the, the morning one's going to be good or the evening one's going to be good. These are things that you do, see, and you can only do those things if you're not consuming every single cent that's coming in for every single month, see. So we're doing that. We've said the no's. We're saying the guesses. We're setting something back for the future, and, uh, you know, we saw that. And so as we do all that, we're remembering that um, all of what we have belongs to God and a certain amount is not supposed to be spent on us at all, okay? So understand that as you're saving some, you realize it's not all uh, you know, disposable mm-hmm. income. And we do that remembering, you know, that our security, even in the midst of our responsibility, is from the Lord, you know, and, and so as we understand that, I, there's a passage that has to do with, uh, with this. And I'd like you to look, I hope it'll be a blessing to you. And we're gonna wrap up here in just a second. So look at Psalm 37 quickly, verse 16, starting verse 16. It has um, a marvelous idea about kind of wrapping this all together um, and kind of putting it in perspective, whether it's a little or a lot, the Lord's blessed you with, and whatever it is, kind of how the Lord's providence works over all these things, but here in Psalm chapter 37, verse 16, it says this. It says, uh, better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. And so again, that's just saying the yes question, isn't it? That's saying yes to Hey, I'm okay with just the basics. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with, uh, I'm not not worried about the loss of everything. You know, I'm okay because the Lord's going to take care of my needs, whatever they are, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So, better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. Um, Verse 17, for the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord, what does he do? What's it say? He sustains the righteous. The wicked will get their just reward, but the Lord what? What does he do with the righteous? He sustains. You should be looking at your copy of God's word. Verse 18. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their inheritance will be forever. He knows the days of the blameless. Are you blameless in Christ? You are. Does he know your days? He does. Verse 19. They will not be ashamed in the time of evil. Even in the days of famine, they'll have abundance. The Lord takes care of those who are his, doesn't he? And he knows how to do that, doesn't he? Verse 20. But the wicked will perish and the enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastors. They vanish. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. Verse 21, the wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. For those blessed by him will inherit the land, but those cursed by him will be cut off. Verse 23, the steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. But when he falls, he'll not be hurled headlong. Were you going to have some difficult times, perhaps, if the Lord is guiding you? Yeah, sure. You may be going through that right now. Not because you're saying, uh, you're saying yes to the no questions or no to the yes questions, just because it's, it's a difficult time. The Lord's perhaps getting your attention or uh, bringing you back to a close prayer life or just wants to make a heavenly point or all the other options that may be out there. I don't even pretend to know the combinations. But yes, you may be going through a difficult time. When he falls, though, he won't be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand, even in difficult times. And David says this, I've been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. All day long he is gracious and lends and his descendants are a blessing. Isn't that great? Just kind of underline that in your Bible. I've been o- young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. Is there benefit to doing these that types of things, walking in, with the Lord in, in the way that you manage your material wealth? So many, Not the least of which is that's the crucible in which the Lord determines whether or not you are capable of handling true riches, which are the ones that are the only ones that are going to matter when we get to heaven, right? What we've laid up there. So in the passage, we see the habits of the righteous, we see the experience of the righteous, we see the faithfulness of the Lord. We see the experience of the wicked, see? And so when we're answering no correctly, and when we've adjusted our thinking, we can say yes with the Lord, and when we're paying what we owe on time, and we're taking care of the needs of those who are under our responsibility, and we're setting something aside for the future time, because that's part of taking the needs, care of the needs of those who are under your care, then we're at the point where we're ready to give. Generously, sacrificially, in proportion, see? We come back to 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4. And adjustments may be needed to get to this point, as we said, but you can start those adjustments at any time, and you can start to be faithful with little at any time. This is our goal if you want to be able to be obedient to the passage here in 1 Corinthians 16 and have as a result the blessings that God has promised to those who are obedient in these areas. We're to give faithfully, we're to give regularly, we're to give with planning to the ministry of the church, and we'll see that later in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and how that works meeting the needs this way, normal action of believers. see, we see all of that, but you're going to have to get to that point where your testimony is correct, you've established this pattern of doing things correctly. And just in closing, you know, we probably wouldn't know it by the way the modern church responds to this kind of teaching, but the Lord watches what goes on in the church very closely. We can certainly see that from Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, right? That Jesus was paying very close attention to what was going on there. And as the church was first being established, making a very important object lesson to everybody who followed. But I think the best place is in Luke chapter 21, verse one, or, I'm sorry. uh... Sorry, guys, let's see, there we go. So Jesus is with his disciples. He's at a point where he can look and see what's going on in the temple. And he looks up. And it says, and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. So there's a lot of people who have, uh, are well healed and have enough, and they are giving. Verse 2, and he saw a poor widow putting t- in two small copper coins. Verse 3, and he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. Verse 4, for they all out of their surplus put into the offering, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on, and and the way that's expressed is all that her living had brought in. So, in other words, uh, she had prospered a certain amount, and she gave it all. So, Jesus is watching. I think he still watches. I I don't think that that's any change now. I think if he was watching early in the church with Ananias and Sapphira, I think if he was uh, telling us in Luke 21, Jesus was watching what was going on in the temple. I don't think it's any change uh, as we think about that. But I think it's interesting that Jesus is watching what's being done here. And... um, and what we don't have is Jesus saying this, well, that was really irresponsible of her. Right? Doesn't say that, does he? Well, what's she going to do now? She's put in all that her living has brought in. Doesn't say that. And, and I'll bet his disciples had some thought-provoking moments when they heard him say this, you know, in, in the secret of her giving, you know, not knowing anybody was watching, She's observed by the one whose opinion matters the most. And at that moment, unbeknownst to her, her deed was put on display for the church to see for the next 2,000 years. He watched closely. He saw what she did. He told exactly what the situation was concerning what she'd brought in and what she'd given. And then he put it on display. And let me ask you a question as you think about that, okay? Because I would bet that Everybody in here has a greater income than two copper coins as they prosper. Was she any less secure after the offering than she was before the offering? Was she? No? If we understand anything about the way the Lord works, was she any less secure after the offering than she was before the offering? No. It's hard to say, though, isn't it? She was no less secure... Can you say that with confidence? Where, where does your security r- lie? Because there's so much we could pull out of this passage we don't have time for. it. But the bottom line is this. You know, she could look to God's promises just like everyone else, right? Proverbs eleven twenty four 24, 25. There's one who scatters and yet increases all the more. And there is one who withholds what's justly due and yet that results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous and he who waters will himself be watered. Was that her promise? Of course. Was she any less secure after the offering? No. She obviously understood Acts 20, 35. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And Luke 6, 38. Give and it'll be given to you. They'll pour into your lap good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measure, it'll be measured to you in return. And she used a pretty large measuring cup, didn't she? Everything. Everything. So I think you can see that this is a very important part of our lives, a part of our worship, a part of our obedience, isn't it? It's just not a peripheral thing. We'd like it to be a peripheral thing. We'd like nobody to even talk about it. I mean, that's where we'd be most comfortable, especially that last passage. That's super uncomfortable, isn't it? I mean, I'll admit to you, it's uncomfortable to me too. It's, I'm glad it's there. I have to wrestle with it. It's a mark too. I mean, you can read it in two different places. So you just read through there, just like, wow. And she's no less secure when she got done than she was when she started. And we think we are, don't we? And when we sit down after we get paid and we give and we think, man, I could use that for something else. Especially if we're doing it right, right? If If it's sacrificial and generous, you could definitely use it for something else. And you're thinking, man, I hope nothing else pops up, right? But yet we still have those same promises for us, see? This is a huge area. And it accurately, listen, it accurately measures where we are spiritually. There isn't any question. We can't even argue that point. It is so oft-repeated, see? And I believe we can say just obviously, you know, for those who have trusted Christ as our Savior as it relates to material wealth, you know, we've been given a stewardship, right? I mean, all of it belongs to him, not just what we give. All of that belongs to him, and we've, we have a stewardship. And so we've got to use it for his glory in ways that advance his kingdom, which we saw as we first started, right? Luke 16, to be faithful and a little and, and astute with what, uh, the use of what belongs to him. And we, we know that we, he won't entrust us with true riches until we show him we be trusted with money. And, and, and part of the way we do that is taking care of our family as a testimony and paying our debts as a testimony and making sure we've set aside something for the future as a testimony and making sure we're able to give and do it generously and in proportion. See, and these are the ways that we really show that we understand this barometer that's going on here, testing really who we are. And so. Um, that's the last I'm going to say about that. We're going to move on, and all God's people said. And we're going to move on to the rest of that chapter and see Paul's instructions and some final uh, instructions on conduct and all that. If you've got questions about that, I'd be glad to try to answer them and and not just give you uh, my own experience, but just from the Word of God and and let the Holy Spirit guide you. But I think that I, I pray that we've had enough here and that I've not clouded it too much with my own delivery that we have enough here that you can come away with some a plan to say, okay, th- this is how I can get on track. And this is, this is how the Lord uh, will be able to be part of what I'm doing uh, in with my family and with what's brought in and all of that kind of stuff. And so that's my prayer for you. It's been a prayer for you this week uh, before uh, I brought this to you, that this would be what the Lord would have you here. And so I'm just going to trust him uh, with this, with his Holy Spirit. So let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Lord, we thank you today for an opportunity to be in your word. We thank you today for the blessings of uh, this church and uh, the joy it is to be in fellowship with them. Thank you for the many needs that get met. Thank you for those who do so much here and are very faithful and have understood uh, what the widows' uh, uh story was all about. They've understood Luke 16 and they've been blessed with material things and, and handled them well and have been blessed with spiritual benefit as well as so they can lay up treasure in your kingdom. And so Lord, we just thank you for a church full of people like that. We pray for those who are coming along in this area that they may be good strides that uh, changing this uh, behavior is difficult, and I pray that you'll uh, give them uh, motivation, encouragement, perhaps, uh, accountability, that they can do the things they need to do in order to be pleasing to you. And, and do this early as we have a very young church. Lord, I pray you help our young families to, to establish this pattern early on in their life, that they might see your blessing on what they do. They might be entrusted with true riches. And Lord, these are things that bless your church as we wait for your son's return. And we pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus, who we love, we long to see. Amen.